I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by Dante Labs, the global leader in genomics solutions for rare diseases. With their Rare Disease Health Package, they offer comprehensive whole genome sequencing for rare disease patients. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, visit U.S. DanteLabs.com. Hi there, and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. And we're here again today to learn big time. We're talking about money, and we're talking about future plans. Okay, so we're learning from the best, though. Okay, she's a rare mom. She's actually even local to me, which is really cool. And she works at a company called the Special Abilities Network. Her passion as an advocate is for families like ours families who are raising children with disabilities and rare diseases. And today we're delving into the vital, critical, so uncomfortable topic of planning for the future. She has invaluable insight. And I think you're going to gain a lot from this conversation. And hopefully it will empower you to navigate this journey successfully. Please enjoy my conversation with Mary McDermott. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Like like always, a couple of rare moms getting together for a podcast episode. We ran into a few issues, but nothing uh, that we couldn't mom back together to start our episode. So I'm happy you made it. mom I'm going to use that today, later. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't invent it. The wonderful Cynthia Caldi did. You probably remember her from the very beginning of this podcast. Well, hey, how about you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background and your involvement with what we're talking about today. Spoiler alert, we're talking about money, you guys. So buckle in. The Special Abilities Network. Give me the scene, Mary. All the things. Yeah. So I am and was a financial planner for everybody. And then I got pregnant with Ruth, my wonderful rare disease kiddo. Once I came back from maternity leave to start helping clients again, I realized my own plan was hose and... I needed to figure out my own plan. And then also the community was coming towards me because we were very public with our um, rare disease journey. So I had a great ally in Kelly Piacente who got me to get some trainings and what it takes to help these families. And then also, you know, just got my face out there. Those families are the ones that I adore. So they'll keep me, uh, keep me going. And when you love your job, like I think you get to love a lot of things in your life. So I get to love my job. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> TSC Alliance, what a powerhouse patient advocacy group. They are. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely someone to look up to for a lot of things. What a great community for sure. Yeah. And something I love so much about our greater community in general is how immensely 
just forceful in all of the good ways these rare parents and patients are. You know, you saw this giant gaping hole and you decided to fill it. And that is just something, it's just an unspoken thing that so many of our families are forced to do. But it's also one of the most energizing aspects, I think, about this world is actually getting up every day and realizing that now you're making a difference. Today, I can do something that will mean something to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because TSC, I mean, we're more than 20 years old. So that is all part of this, right? Like I have capacity to think of this other thing because there's a machine that's working on my child's rare disease that I don't need to be in the middle of. Right. And that's also different for a lot of our parents. Yeah. Well, help us understand the journey. You know, many of us families raising kids with disabilities and rare diseases. We, of course, know that we're living in an uncertain day to day, but especially our future. It's hard to look at. It's hard to think about. It causes a lot of stress and anxiety and depression. And how can parents begin to even approach this and plan for our child's future, like effectively. I think one of the things that we talk about pretty early is, do you have an ounce of capacity to think about it? So are you in complete emergent mode? Most parents are, so don't feel shame around any of that. But can we give like one ounce of thought to this so we can give a little time to it? It's kind of one of the parts we like to start in. And the way we start in that is we want to know what your triage op- item is. So what is the one thing you could do today? And if you felt like you could check that box, you'd be like, whew, I got it. And it's not always financial or legal. It could be, I'm going to use you because I love your posts about your son going to camp. My son went to camp. Cool. Oh my gosh. Now I can have five days and I can go on a vacation. I could clean my house. Your world of possibilities opens up just a little enough where you can think of things that you want to do with your time. And so we're trying to like take a triage item off of your off of your plate so that we can then attack the other parts. So I guess the first step is just to really get your mind ready to actually have a little bit of capacity to think about it. Now, with that comes some stress and anxiety because you're first thing that's going to come in there is like, I'm not going to be around forever to do this job. So when that creeps in, then you start to get motivation to actually put something in place. So the people coming behind you that are going to take your place will have a roadmap. So I said, the first step is to open your brain to even starting to think about doing this. Hey, listeners, I want to take a moment to talk about Dante Labs and their groundbreaking rare disease health package. If you or someone you know is facing the challenges of a rare disease, this is a game changer. With their advanced whole genome sequencing, Dante Labs provides a comprehensive view of your genetic makeup, helping to pinpoint the cause of a rare disease and offering potential treatment options. Dante Labs understands that time is of the essence for rare disease patients. That's why their results are available within weeks, not months. Plus, their pre- and post-specialist consultations offer invaluable support throughout your diagnostic journey. So, if you're seeking answers and support for rare disease, turn to the experts at Dante Labs. Visit us.dantelabs.com to explore the rare disease health package and take charge of your health today. I like thinking about it like that of just take triaging, triaging the things and taking something really really difficult away that's probably pausing you or, you know, blocking you from getting so many other things done because you're stuck 
in the worry or the stress of something this enormous. But it happens with even the small things, right? You get blocked from progressing in whatever area because you have like this giant, you know, elephant in the room staring at you all the time and you can't even do anything about it because it stresses you out to even think about it. Absolutely. And we're all an emergent. So I try and tell people our, our big audacious goal with the families we work with is we want to get you out of caregiver and into a parent mindset for just a little bit amount of time, right? Because caregiver is a different role than a parent, right? Caregiver is emergent, can't think of anything past the next 15 minutes. I'm barely downloading with my husband at the end of the day to get ready for the next day. And then you just rinse and repeat, right? And so if we can like give your brain a little bit of 10 minutes even of like, okay, I'm a parent too. So what would a parent do right now? <laughs> and that, that sounds... Wow. I'm going to make those necklaces for all of us <laughs> because I think that it is an active, common practice daily to be like, I am a parent. I am a parent. I am a parent because we live on this tightrope of caregiver constantly. The, uh, yeah, what would a parent do is a really good mantra. <laughs> yeah, just to think about it and just be like, okay, a parent, like, like I, and I have a nine-year-old that I'm always parenting, right? I'm not caregiving my older daughter, Charlie, I'm parenting her. So how can I be more of a parent to Ruth and I'm lucky, so I, I'm gonna keep saying I'm lucky because in the rare disease world, I'm the luckiest. Um, we've been on a, a seizure vacation since March of 2020. So both of us have been able to be a parent. And before that time, I was the caregiver and my husband was the parent. And that's awesome because we needed that dynamic for her. She needed a parent that treated her as normal as possible. And she needed a caregiver that took her to the EEGs and the brain surgeries and the blah, 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 blahs, right? So. I can actually see that I'm on the other side of it. And I'm like, okay, if I can only give this to somebody for an hour and they can be, think like a parent, even if it's about serious stuff, if it's about, you know, doing a funding strategy and thinking about legal and doing that, that's probably going to actually relieve them because they're not anxious about it. They're not thinking about it in the middle of the night. So that's where we're trying to get people. Yeah, I would say these things wake us up uh, about 3 a.m. and then we don't sleep the rest of the night. So help me understand the journey a little bit. I mean, I guess more so the importance of why we should actively plan and why is it so much more unique when we have a child with disabilities, maybe as opposed to a typically developing child? And what are some key aspects of our disabled child's future that we should really, really consider? Okay. Yep. I'm going to cut this into importance, differences, key aspects. Okay. So the importance is if our kids are on any kind of state or federal benefits, we want to keep those, okay? And so in the eyes of the rest of the world, when they turn 18, they are legally an adult. And when they're legally an adult, you want to keep those benefits in place. They can only have a certain amount of assets in their name and that number is very low. It's $2,000 right now. So we want to keep benefits in place and give them an amazing life. How do we do that with the restrictions around what we have with the waiver system in every state and SSI at the federal level. So that is the, let's say the importance, right? We wanna keep benefits in place and give them an amazing life. And we only have a couple places to put money where they can save, I'm gonna quote, that's air quotes, save, and not have it count as those $2,000 assets. So the importance is 
if they're on benefits or they will be benefit eligible in the future, we want to keep them. And we still want to supplement all the things that we're paying for as parent caregivers now while we're working in our retirement years. There's going to be a time when they're not going to live in your home anymore as well. And you are still going to be around supplementing. And then we still need to supplement when we're not around anymore. So the importance is keeping benefit eligible so that we don't have to have a bigger pot of money to make sure that our kids are taken care of. It's just so frustrating. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. If we could have more assets, my, I, I, I would still have a job. I would still help all the families. It would just be much easier. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's why we really need to think about the idea of having a professional like you, right? Because I don't know how to only put $2,000 somewhere and then figure out how to get Ford taken care of. Like, first of all, the number, come on. Uh, but like, this isn't something that we can manage as parents and caregivers and people who don't understand this system. Right. And you don't really think about it because before they turn 18, you're on the waiver and it's based off their assets anyway, when you apply for Medicaid through your state and you're just like, okay, you know, going along and you're okay. And and when they turn 18, I mean, they're an adult. Lots of things happen where they're going to be treated as an adult. I don't think goods and bads, we, we treat them as characteristics. So you're going to be SSI eligible. Your Medicaid will stay in place as long as you stay under that limit. You know, there's other things that happen after 18 that aren't, they're all not horrible. Not all transitions are horrible. I think if we're always an emergent, we can't actually proactively think of the next thing. And that gets us in trouble. And then we're trying to scramble and everything's a, a fire drill. I get it. Like we don't live in systems that support proactivity, right? Like the medical system doesn't support me trying to do things proactively. They're a reactive system. So is the school district. Something happens, change the IEP. It's not like, oh, I want to forward think to six months. What is Ruth going to be able to do? And let's really, really actually strive for that, which I think that's how the IEP is structured, but it doesn't actually live like that, right? So I'm asking you to do something that you haven't been rewarded for in the past, but I will reward you for it. And your future caregivers are really going to be happy with you, even though you might not be around. <laughs> <laughs> I always think, is Saturday morning going to like Friday, Effie? Because I need them. I need them to be friends. I need them to not curse the day before person. I also do. And sometimes I even say my kids, my kids will ask me a question. I was like, that's a seven day in the future problem because <laughs> it is. And so I mean, I joke about that, too, because I'm like, oh, wow, I don't I'm not ready to answer that. So I'm going to push it. But we can only push things so far. Let's say let's take my two kids. Right. I got Charlie's nine or seven. So the difference is my planning for Charlie is I, I'm college planning for her and 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 life planning for her. I'm also life planning for Ruth, but Charlie, I can put money, buckets of money in 529s and it, there's a lot of accounts I can put money in for Charlie for her future. For Ruth, it gets trickier, right? And every kid's going to be different. Like, are they gonna work? Are they not gonna work? Do you know if they're even going to be in that capacity? Are they? going to be able to live with you? Are they not going to be able to live with you due to behavior, your mental capacity? Maybe you both work. Like there's so many dynamics with every kid that we have to actually dig in. And that's part of the big planning is you're going to have to be open enough to talk about your child and not in a like, 
assessment kind of way, but in a reality way of what unpaid labor you're doing so that we can actually calculate out what that's going to look like in the future. Yeah, that makes me think that lots of families are probably like, hmm, well, my kid's this way or that way, so how are we going to really tailor it to their unique needs? Because it's so specific, right? And the challenges that some of our kids have, they're just not the same as everyone. And maybe they're more extreme or less so in different areas. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why we're here. It's just we know, I don't think I've met two kids that have the same story, right? They're not, none of them are going to have the same story. It's not even just based off of ability. It's based off family dynamic. What are the goals? What are the kids' abilities? And that gets mixed in with, I like to say, a family-centered plan. We get shoved person-centered plan a lot down our throats, which I I really appreciate. I want person-centered planning for the person. But until this year, my child's seven. She's going to draw a picture on that with crayons. And if that's cool for a person-centered plan, I'm into it, right? But we're looking at the family. We're looking at the family unit and not just immediate family. We're looking at friends, cousins, your medical team, PTOT speech. People are real big allies of our kids and sometimes want places in the future of these kids. So we're, we're looking at the whole unit and how are we planning for everyone in the unit. So aside from like the looming fear, because that's not what this episode is about, of who's going to take care of our kids when we die, it's it's the other major concern. And I know people are thinking about this right now and they've already been rolling their eyes in this episode is money is a huge concern. Not only do most of us not have it, but what we do have, we're literally spending on a day to day basis just to take care of our kids. So what's the advice that you offer families who don't have significant resources to even save for their child's future? And how do we navigate this aspect of our planning? The number one thing I always make sure people do apply for your state benefits. You have to apply at the state level for whatever waiver you can get through. OK, because that's extra might not be extra money in your pocket but it might be extra benefits and Medicaid, if you can get it, that'll be actual extra money in your pocket. Okay, so let's find funds to help the family first. So reach out to your state if your child's over 18, apply for SSI through the the federal system. So I'm always going to one, make sure we're leveraging those systems to to the max because that's just either more money in your household or you're gonna save on medical. So that's number one. Number two, what other resources are there? Do we have family members that want to contribute? They've just been quiet. And also just, I'm not throwing grandparents under the bus, but like grandparents have the best of intentions and sometimes will over-resource your child without thinking about it. I've had client meetings with grandparents to talk about exactly this. Like I want to pass on money to Ruth. Okay, great. I would love you to pass on money to Ruth, but you know what you can't do? Give it directly to her. We're going to have to set up an ABLE or can we save it in a functional way where you it'll actually pass to her and you're passing, right? And then it'll go into her trust. Family, I think, are, are people to reach out to. I'm selfishly thinking of it just to protect the child to make sure we're not going to lose benefits in the future. And this is a hard question, Effie, just because I always like am questioning whether are we so exhausted that we're actually just spending stuff because we're stressed shopping? We do that. Oh, for sure. Definitely everyone does that. Not everyone, but yeah. Who's on their phone in the middle of the night? Like, oh my God, this day was awful. I want this workout outfit. I'm going to I'm gonna buy this workout outfit because I'm going to work out again or whatever it is. So 
can we look at habits that are um, emotional based? And I'm working on this with a counselor all the time. Um, it's taken me years to get out of um, shopping for emotion habit. And what can we fill that with that's a little, I'm not saying we need to do self-help books and all that stuff, but like that is actually dealing with the emotion of the day. So are we gonna go for a walk instead of stress shopping? Can we do that? Is that even in the vicinity? So is it a, we don't have enough money problem or is it a spending problem? And I'm gonna make you do that. I'm gonna make you talk about it. Um, and then we'll really find out if there's not extra money or if we're just, we're emotion shopping or emotion spending. But here's the thing. You can't talk about money unless you talk about embracing the emotional aspects of it. So I think that is just so profound that that's part of your practice, because anyone who wants to be real and admit it, that's going to definitely be a piece. I mean, I would say most generations and most families have some sort of issue with money in one way or another because of how they grew up or or whatever, or maybe the stress that's in their life now as being a parent. And so not talking about the emotional aspect with money would be such a disservice. And it wouldn't be real. You wouldn't actually be making the plan. It's not like people like there's a small percentage of people in the world that I think are like, wow, I went through all my clothes and I got rid of this shirt that this color and I need to replace it with that. Like, I'm sure there's people live out there in the world. But I haven't met a lot of them, right? Like, <laughs> I want to buy X because it makes me feel good for this amount of time. And then it actually shows up and I, I feel some shame around it, right? Even now, like I've flipped to the other side where I'm like, I don't even want to buy anything, which isn't good either. Like, I'm a human, guys. I'm not, I'm not like going to be the vice principal of money management. I'm going to have faults and I'm going to have things I'm going to work through. I think that only makes me a better planner because I'm, I'm real with it. Like I'm not, <laughs> that's, that's the reality of being a human being. Mm, yeah. I do love too, that families can, you can speak their language, right? Which is so important, no matter what kind of professional we're seeing, whether it's the dentist or the financial planner or the therapist, like someone who understands the words that we're using and the emotions that we're feeling and the life that we're living is just steps ahead, I think, in general of where a regular person would be. Totally. I mean, I know the question. I'm I'm you at 1 a.m. often. Yeah. Right. I'm not. Yeah. We're not alone. We can all see each other online. We should just have a group chat. Let's get on a phone call and work it out because like we're we're doing it. And like I said, I am lucky in the rare space. I was diagnosed when when we were pregnant. We were looking for everything. We got seizure control. Like we're in a healthy space. Like I would say we're one of the healthiest families in the rare disease community, which is also, as you saw me say in front of a group of people in Seattle, very hard for me to say out loud. I don't know the emotion. It's not guilt because I didn't do anything wrong, but there's something there that I feel that's hard for me to be like, we're doing great. But I also want people to have a, some hope if they need it. Yeah, that's also another podcast episode. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I think I think, too, the families that are hearing you and receiving that information that are in a good place are so happy for that. Right. And that gives people hope. And that just makes one less kid in pain. And so I understand that there's a whole level of emotions for someone like you or someone whose kid is less affected. Like I hear this stuff all the time, but I hope that comparison lessens and becomes not a thing, celebrates the 
kids who are doing well because that's one less kid we have to worry about. Yeah, one thing, this is another pot. We're going to have like seven podcasts. Add this <laughs> one to the list too, like less judgment and like the comparison judgment game with parents is like... It's really hard. I've actually been experiencing it a lot this year for some reason and I hadn't really noticed it before, but yeah, people comparing their kids to Ford, like that they're worse than Ford and I should, I'm lucky. And it's like, yeah, I am and thank you, but why are we having this conversation? That's not the point. And also, everything is so different, right? Like, maybe your kid can't do this, but Ford can, but maybe his behavior overshadows that ability anyways. You know, like, you can't compare things. It just doesn't make sense. These kids are so unique, and every challenge is so different for every family, and even the setup that they have in their home, that it's just so pointless to even have that conversation, and we should be doing something constructive. Yeah, because caregiver trauma is caregiver trauma. I don't care how you label it or what you're going through. We all have trauma from it. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, okay. So thanks for bringing up the emotional aspect and different ways that you can go find support, right? Like, we need to apply for our government programs. We need to ask around and find community resources. We need to reach out to nonprofit organizations that help provide assistance, whether it's flights to your medical appointments or even help paying you. I bet if we Google deep enough and maybe we could all come together and make a great list of how to educate ourselves on this, that we could probably find some pretty good stuff. Do you know of any other kind of educational sort of resources that help families make informed decisions without feeling overwhelmed or not enough or should they just hire you thing that i dislike about the like the waiver system is it's state-based so every state has its own which makes it impossible to know i don't even know all of washington's i'm not going to pretend like i know every waiver in washington because there's like seven and i know the one that everybody wants so i have people apply for that right so i think there is a great resource we use for um, for that purpose. Um, Eric Jorgensen, I'll hook you guys up. You guys should be connected. But he does this roadmaps of every state waiver, which I use all the time. So if you are listening to this and you're in Michigan, he will on his website have a roadmap for the waiver system, which is your Medicaid system in your state. I love that resource. I love Eric. He's an amazing human. And so that's one of the places to look to start to get on a waiver system in your state. And I think that's the good, the first place everybody should start. The, the part that's hard is every disability, rare disease, we all have separate groups and they're all going to have different resources. And so there's not like some amazing place to find all the resources. Our goal at Special Abilities Network is to make sure every family has this planning. Yes, of course, I would love you to come to me. I love meeting with clients. I love my job. But if you know a planner in your state, that's amazing. I know great planners all over, right? So like if you're like, well, I've, you know, and I meet on Zoom, 99% of my meetings are on Zoom because our families are hard to meet in person. I'm not going to, how are you going to find a caregiver to watch your kid while you come and see me with your husband or spouse? Like that seems very difficult. So we see people all over the state, but our whole goal is to make sure every family has this planning. If you're not a fit for my personality, I can find you a planner that is, that will do great work. I think you do need to outsource this one. We're very DIY because we've had to advocate for 600 things for our kids. But like, if you're gonna outsource something, outsource somebody cleaning your house and outsource this. <laughs> mm, love that. So you do take clients out side of Washington State, just yeah. for the record, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. We take state, okay. we take clients everywhere. 
and yes, definitely pass on. I I recognize Jorgensen's last name, so I'm probably I've probably sent some angry email to their office at some point. But yeah, please connect us with them so we can share that roadmap in the show notes of this episode. Also, just a side note, Washington State should be ashamed of themselves for the shape of our DDA system. You didn't necessarily touch on this yet, but you kind of said something about it. Does your service provide any sort of roadmap for like long long term care for these? So how do parents like how do we know that we're going to have our kids in an appropriate place of care, that they're going to get the right support and the right services and the right transitions? Is that part of this financial planning piece or is that a separate avenue that we have to go to and put on our tab? No, but it is all connected now because we've seen so many clients at this point that have asked us for that, right? We can't just do a financial plan in a silo for our families. It has to have a support strategy. So support strategy is basically everything else. So support strategy would be, we would try and help with a transition to 18. Do we need to apply for SSI? How are we, is the waiver going to transfer? Do they need to get guardianship? What's the best guardianship lawyer in your area? You know, like we have to have that support strategy that's even that's outside of the financial and the legal. It's just required for our families. So we have a bucket that everything else lands in. Now, the financial plan part is what we call the funding strategy. So what's your plan look like? And we are going to really get down to what your kiddo is going to need. And we are going to have a number that we would like to reach to, to supply that care ongoing. And that's just the money side. There's also who's going to do that job. The funding part's math. The who's gonna take my place as a caregiver part is uh, emotional and scary because we feel like if we raise our hand, there's not gonna be people there. So I, I like to separate those from a money view and a um, who's gonna take my job. The third circle is the legal strategy. So the who's going to take my job um, legal is dabbling in that. We like to do something called a microboard. So a microboard starts with a person-centered plan and then it uses self, like a self-determining model to develop an expanded community connection. It's actually a corporation in the state. So they don't have trustee um, rights. They don't have guardianship rights but they do know your kiddo and they work as a board to help make decisions, meet once a year, make sure things are going well. Let's say it this way. It's like that IEP team that you've always wanted. They're looking out for the best interest of your kiddo ongoing when you're not around anymore um, as a group, but they don't have, you know, like legally, they don't have guardianship or trustee rights. They are just literally there to make sure that things are going how how Ford and the group would want it to move forward. And Ford could be part of the microboard. He's a He can be a member, right? So that's a way we've kind of split up the work. Now, people on the microboard probably aren't maybe direct caregivers, but they can direct the care of what's going to happen, right? They're not the people doing all the work, but they are they are, can be a group of people that would make decisions. So no matter what, in one way or another, we're all going to have to start a patient advocacy group, <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah, it can just be, but the thing about microbiome that's great could be just you and your spouse start it. And then you bring on a new, bring on someone, like I think one of our clients just brought on their PT that's been with their, their child for 20 years. And she's like, I want to be part of this. Like I will 
donate my time. Like I'm going to donate my time to make sure that like, I know, I know your kiddo for 20 years. Of course I want to be a part of making sure they're okay. And people always get really, really caught up in the age. I'm one of them. I'm 42. Everybody in my plan is older that it would be on this micro board there. I mean, there's 72. I got a lot of 42s cause we're all the same age. I don't have the next generation behind me. Right. But I have time to add people on as we get people that raise their hand that want to help Ruth in the future. The micro board idea is actually really cool. And that is something so far that you've mentioned in the irritating money talk that is exciting to me. I think building a Ford board and like everyone knowing like how we feel about what's best for him and also giving their own opinions and kind of just talking shop about Ford, you know, quarterly or, you know, twice a year, I think is really valuable, um, especially when it comes down to it that they're so invested and they really know kind of the truth and the intentions behind how you want. Yeah. And don't keep it a secret. Like don't keep it a secret, right? Like I used, I, I, when I do presentations to groups, so I do presentations to a lot of non-for-profit groups in, in all over actually. And I tell people like when I first set up our legal plan, I was like, Hey everybody, I'm taking applications. I have this great job opening. <laughs> it's for, being an advocate for Ruth. Send me your send me your resume. We'll consider you. And I make a joke about it, but it's it's real. Like they there's humans out there that really want to help you. And we come across families that say, well, I don't have anybody. And I'm like, okay, well, let's start actually talking about who your child interacts with every day. Because I think we will at least be able to find one, one person that would want to be on this board to help outside of parents. You get overwhelmed with it. Like I said, like, I don't want to raise my hand and ask for help and have nobody be there. That's a, that's not fun. That's going to keep you up at night Instagram shopping. Because we've all done it, right? We've all been in a spot where we're like, oh man, I don't know what to do. And if I raise my hand and no one's there, I'm still alone. And that doesn't feel good. And so we want to eliminate that part. I don't want people to feel alone. You, I'm never actually alone in my life, but there's a difference between feeling alone and like taking time alone to be alone. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things, you know, when you sort of start looking for the micro boards is that you are going to be blown away by who shows up for you. Yes. Take the leap. It's worth it. I think it's worth it. And if no one else is there, I'm not going to say I'm going to be on your micro board, but I, I will be there with you to go through like, oh my gosh, there was nobody there. And then we're going to exhaust every single freaking option that you have. And I will call them with you. I don't, whatever we have to do, because like, I'm not going to allow you to feel alone, but I think you would be amazed on the people that actually want to step up. And let's just be really specific about the job, right? I think when people ask in a way of like, can you be part of Ford's life in the future? That's a pretty open-ended, like, that could be a lot of things. That could be showering him, moving him, transit. Like, let's, let's be very specific about what you want them to do, right? I want you to take them to the park every every quarter. Oh my God, I would sign up. I will come to Seattle and take Ford to the park every quarter because that smile when that kid's at the park is like really uplifting. <laughs> yes. I love that idea of the specific things because uh, that is so true, right? It's like all of those tasks that we know so well that are so important to the quality of life. And it's not like this big giant 
sort of thing, right? And, you know, just because people don't like you and maybe you don't like them doesn't mean they don't love your kid. There are people that'll show up. And I bet even if this is something that you make a little story about and post on LinkedIn, people from across the country who have specific skills would sign up because they care about rare disease. They care about disability. They care about donating their time. Um, Like you just never know. And it's one of those times to just like cast a line and see what happens. Yeah. And it's not like there's nobody there one time. There's not going to be anybody in their future. Right. Things change you change like I think you just have to give it a chance and some time just like all of this like I'm honest when I say like the support strategy the funding and the legal all has to work together and it's wrapped in this like I said in the beginning this triage thing that we're gonna work on together right off the bat get this off the list get your mind a little bit open and then we're gonna go through a succession of planning through support funding and legal and get this actual tab in your head closed so you're not waking up in the middle of night. The whole goal of our planning is to actually take something off your plate. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to be work because it is. It's already work. You're thinking out in the middle of the night. So let's let's work on it together. Close a tab in your head so we can, if we actually like could not think about this one thing, think of the things that we can think about to get to your point. Like, why are we comparing each other? Same kind of thing. Why are we thinking about the future of our kids and it's waking up in the middle of the night? Because it's unknown and it's scary. Cool. Let's tackle that and let's like take on bigger things like changing all the waivers and the SSI and the guardianship rules. Like we have bigger things to do, friends, with our time. And I just want to be part of closing this one tab so we can get this done. Mm, Yes. Build that support network in all of these ways. And I love how you break it down into kind of those those sections of of what you do. Speaking of um, the other important stuff, how do families advocate for change, whether it's around policy or just more inclusive society around them, uh, providing better support for our kids? Like what steps can parents take right now? to be advocates for policy. I know you're heavily involved in like this super, super frustrating and boring bureaucracy stuff. So do you have any hot tips? Hot tip. So one, do you have time? And how easily frustrated are you? (laughs) So like, you got to be up for the fight. It's a fight. And I want to make sure everybody has capacity to take some of this stuff on. Two, know what you're asking. Like, I don't think there's... There's probably not a human out there that just wants to meet to meet. I like to meet to meet people to catch up. I love human beings. Actually, I want to interact with humans all day if I if I can. That's why I'm in this job. But I don't think politicians do. So if you're going to go meet a politician, you better know what the ask is and be very, very specific on why it's important to you and what is your expectation of them. So I would like if you have a rare disease diagnosis in Washington to automatically be on Medicaid. That's, that's very clear, right, to a politician. Their back to me is how many people is it and what's it going to cost? And I don't have an answer for that because we don't have a prevalence report on how many of us there are. And we all know there's a ton of us, but me just saying there's a ton of us isn't really backing that up. So in the one in 10, I don't even know where that came from. And I can't find the research that like backs that up. And I know it's like, smaller now, one in seven, I think. So I'm at a crossroads now, so I have to do some work. So find out what you really want, ask for it. They're going to ask you for something in return. You have to work on that and supply it back to them in a professional, very, very specific way. I think the first time I learned this is when I I testified in Washington for the first time. 
and you have to sit through a whole session, right? You don't just get in there and for 15 minutes and then it's your 15 minutes. Like you watch everybody else testify. These people are making, I don't know, 40 decisions. They're voting on 40 things a day during this session. So that's why I'm saying being very clear, concise, don't waste time, and then follow up on things that they ask you to do and supply it. And then they can make a real educated decision. Yeah, it's that same thing that we talk about when uh, asking for money, right? Not necessarily for your kid's future fund, but for fundraising in general for your organization or your kid's wheelchair is figuring out that elevator pitch, right? Figuring out your story in two to four minutes to get your point across, have your ask and to connect to someone, right? To be able to do it so quickly because nobody has time. They don't have time. And like you can be relevant in an edited way. I prefer that. I'm a TLDR person. Like more than two paragraphs, I'm probably out just to be as honest with people as possible. And when I write a long email, I'm like, oh, that's gross and long. Like, <laughs> can I edit some of this out? Just because I think time's our most important resource. I'm running, I feel even like I'm running out of it now. Like I want to be in the lives of my friends and make sure I'm there for people. And I'm, I, I'm not for all the people I want to be. And I'm feeling it. I don't know how to fix that, <laughs> but I want to make sure I'm giving as much as I can out there to the communities that are really important to me. And I don't want to sacrifice my mental health to do it because I have done that in the past. But I think if we are just really clear with our intentions, people will sign up for more things with you. They will believe you if you are specific and very clear about what you want. Oof, I got an amen for that. And thanks for the beginning of this part of your answer to the question of just think about if this is the hill you want to die on. You know, that's part of that. Is this it? Do I have time? Do I have capacity? <laughs> have that person, too, that you trust to ask you that question. Yep. You know, mine is Casey. Casey's always like, Effie, is this the hill you want to die on? And then I have to answer him, right? And he holds me accountable to that yes or no. So think about that because your time, like you said, the most precious resource of all. I have three questions I ask. We'll leave your audience with this, but three questions I ask. So I get asked to be on boards. I, I get asked to do speaking engagements. Some of it, you know, constitutes travel away from my family. And so when I get asked to do something, I said, does this project need my special skill, right? That requires you to know what you're great at. So know what you're great at. And then does this project require that? Does this serve the community I represent? Okay, don't get wrapped up in somebody else's passion. And then what or who do I want to be held accountable to with my time? And if those are no's, tell the group that. Tell, say that to them. Say, hey, I have three things that have to go through this for me to say yes. And it just didn't say this last one. And so if you can change the time or it's less of a commitment, um, come back to me. And I would love to re-engage with that. This is what I did with the Ark of Washington. It was... It was yes, yes, no. Like, I can't fly over to Seattle every quarter on a Saturday for four hours. You've got to know yourself a lot to answer those questions. But I think if you can go through that succession, and especially in the advocacy world, because you're going to ask, get asked to do a lot of things, you'll find out what you're really actually passionate about. Oof, fire, Mary. Okay, just repeat those without any explanation behind the question for me. Does this project need my special talent? Does this serve the community I represent? And what or who do I want to be held accountable to with my time? Yes. 
Okay, well, speaking of time and respecting everybody's precious, precious commodity, thank you so much for this hope and this encouragement and for sharing, you know, your skills with parents who are so overwhelmed right now by the challenges they face. And I'm glad that we have a rare mom on our side who's digging into the stuff that is super uncomfortable and really scary. I encourage anyone listening to head to specialabilities.com and message Mary. And if she can't help you, she can help you find someone uh, in your area. Yeah. Let's try to save a little money on Instagram shopping at two in the morning and put it into our kids' future and our peace of mind. So thank you, everybody. And Mary, thank you so much. Um, It's just so special to know you. And I appreciate you. Thank you, Effie. I adore you. A special thank you to Dante Labs for sponsoring this episode of Once Upon a Gene. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, please visit us.dantelabs.com. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.